Second Samuel chapter number 11, and we'll begin reading again in verse number 1. The Bible said, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass, in an evening tide, that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then... Go into mine house, and to eat, and to drink, and to lie with my wife, as thou livest, and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow will I, I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And that's all we'll read for sake of time this morning. Again, we are preaching on this thought, the magnitude of a moment. The magnitude of a moment. David's life is one again that we would all really probably set out to replicate. It's a life that we would all admire. It's a, a life. Everything we know about David is prosperous. It almost seems like everything that this man has touched has turned to gold. He's God's choice man. He's anointed, been anointed as a lad to be the king of God's chosen people. But here in Second Samuel chapter number 11, David gets caught up in the moment. Can I say that's all it takes us this morning is one bad moment? And I want us to have a good year, but can I say you can throw a whole year down the drain with one bad moment. Some of you are in captivity today because of a moment. Some of you still are bearing scars and sin in your life, not because you've lived a terrible life, but you had a bad moment. Some of you will never move forward for God because you're hung up on that one moment. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there is help in a time of need even concerning the moments. Ain't you glad God's interested in your moment? And uh, so if the Lord will help us this morning, 
I'm going to go back to this text and preach on the magnitude of a moment. Please pray for me and with me this morning. Father, we come to you, Lord, one more time to say thank you for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for the good singing, Lord, that we've heard. Thank you, uh, Lord, for the altars being used and hearts being stirred. And Lord, I, I pray this morning, God, that you would help me. I can't preach by myself. Lord, I sure don't want to try. Lord, these folks here this morning need help. These folks here this morning, Lord, need to make things right. These folks here that need victory. These folks here this morning, Lord, that need to evaluate the moment they're in now. God, do something about it. Lord, I pray that you will help me, God, to preach in the power and the demonstration, the unction, Lord, the touch of Almighty God. Lord, let heaven fall in this place. Lord, speak to hearts. I can only reach their ears, but God, I'm asking you, Lord, please, to reach their hearts. And I'll thank you. And praise you for everything you do. In Jesus' name and for His sake. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated this morning. Uh, Can I say this morning that it is here that David, again, is to me one of the saddest examples of what a moment of sin can cause in the lives of those who submit themselves to it. May I say that this morning, if there's anything we all Share. If there's anything we have in common, it is the desire to sin. I need some help this morning. Uh, you might as well get honest before we go any further. Our flesh, all of our I don't care who you are or what your name is or what church you go to, every man, woman, boy, and girl that breathes air upon this earth struggles in the, the, the desires of their flesh to sin. And that's exactly what we've seen David do in our text. He has given in to the desires of his flesh. But may I say that there are some things that led David to this moment. And may I say this morning, we don't ever just fall into sin. I need some help now this morning. We never just accidentally slip up and fall into sin. But there's always a step or two or usually several that have been taken in the wrong direction that lead us to the moment, if you will, of Bathsheba. May I say we read in verse number 1 that it is the time for kings to go to battle. Had David been where he was supposed to be, this moment probably would have never happened. There would have been no Bathsheba if he would have been in the battle. And I begin to preach on and talk about how we are still called right now, Brother Chris. We are enlisted in battle. I feel like we forget sometimes we bury our head in the sand concerning the battle that we're in but hear me this morning listen to me loud and clear we are fighting a very serious war this morning there's always been a war between the spirit and the flesh we understand we fight this flesh every day matter of fact our biggest enemy probably is not the devil our biggest enemy is probably our own selves we give the devil a lot of credit for things that he really has no recollection of. He don't even know that uh, we are in those situations. It's our low down rotten flesh that uh, desires to be uh, contrary to the word, the will, and the ways of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. 
this morning. And so David is here in a moment. We are also in a moment. Every day you live uh, is another opportunity, think about this, to either please the Lord or to separate yourself from Him. Did you know that, uh, say you've been in church 30 years and for 30 years you've been faithful. For 30 years you have been preaching. For 30 years you've been singing. For 30 years you tithe faithfully. For 30 years you're a witness and a lie uh, to a lost and dying world. All that's fine, well and wonderful. And God will reward you for your labors for 30 years. But did you know all it takes is 30 seconds uh, to put you on a couch on Sunday morning. All it takes is 30 seconds to put you in prison. All it takes is 30 seconds to put you in the graveyard somewhere. I'm trying to tell you we cannot measure how we are and who we are by our prior and former success. David has nothing but success. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, the first thing that happens is Samuel walks in Jesse's house and every one of David's brothers look like a king. They all smell like a king. They all act like a king. They walk and talk like a king. And Samuel has got a word from the Lord to go and put his hands on the next appointed king of Israel and the next anointed king of Israel. And he looks and he says, Jesse, all these boys look like they should be king, but none of them has God put his approval on. Do you have any more? And he said, well, we got one more. Uh, his name's David. Now, you probably will be very impressed with David. He's ugly. That's what Jesse said. said he ain't very good to look upon. He's ruddy. Uh, he's rough around the edges. Matter of fact, he ain't built like none of these boys. He's the run of the litter. He ain't got muscle, strength, stamina, or nothing else. Uh, he can't even big enough to wear armor, let alone uh, go 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 serve his king, but we'll, we'll fetch for him if you'd really like to see him. And so the old daddy Jesse walks out, whistles, and here comes David running. You can barely see him running through the uh, through the fields where the sheep are, and he comes up there and he smells like a sheep, and uh, he's, he's covered in sheep hair and mud and dirt, and he don't, boy, he just don't look good. And uh, Samuel looked at him, and God looked down on David, and he said, that's the one. And Samuel said, all right, Jesse, that's the one God wants. Can you imagine being the brethren of David, the run of the letter, the outcast, the one that uh, did not fit the bill for anything uh, to be used, let alone to be king. I mean, David, out of the, all the bunch, David was the least likely in the eyes of men. But what do we read in 1 Samuel 16? We read that God said that God does not, does, does not look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And I'm telling you, David had a testimony that any of us us would have desired. Any of us would have wanted to mimic or replicate. He's God's choice out of his seven uh, brethren. Uh, number eight was the one God wanted. He He's a shepherd boy. He's been faithful to his father. He's killed a lion and a bear, but we also read when all those big mighty warriors of the brothers uh, uh, were down in battle, David was the water and the cheese boy. And he went down there to check on them and report back to Jesse how they fared in the battle. And sure enough, when it got down there, old Goliath was out there, uh, all ten toes and fingers, and I mean ten foot tall head looked like an elephant, and uh, out there cussing.
blessing God and David said, hold on a minute, boys. I know I'm just here to give the water and cheese, but who in God's name does that man think he is? They said, well, that's the champion. That's Goliath of Gath. Ain't nobody can defeat him. Why ain't y'all doing something? Because he'd kill us. He'd chew us up and eat us, David. Don't you know who that is? And he said, I don't really care who that is. Y'all hear us talking about our God. He said, bless God, it'll be a cold day in hell for I let Goliath say one more word about my Lord. And sure enough, he stood up and said, hey, I don't know who you think you are. Saul said, hey, son, before you go out there, you better get some armor on. He said, all right. And they went back and got Saul's armor. I can see it now. They put that helmet on up Saul's helmet, and uh, you know how they got the little flip-up things, and they flip it up. And David's little neck it wasn't strong enough to hold it, and his head would lean over, and it shut. And they put that breastplate on, and uh, instead of it coming down from the waist to the uh, to the to the neck, it, it went about all the way to his knees. And they give him that sword, and David couldn't even hardly hoist it up with two hands to put it in the holster. And they said, "My God, son, there ain't no way this ain't gonna work." He said, "Matter of fact, that's exactly right." I'm not prove this armor. I don't want this armor. Take this armor off. So how are you going to kill that big ugly thing out there? I don't know, Lord. How you want me to kill him? Go down the brook. Alright, I'm going down the brook. All he had was a little shepherd bag. And the Bible said in a sling and he went down that little brook. And the Bible said he chose him up five smooth stones. Now, you can believe what you want, but I believe I can prove it in Scripture. Later on, I believe God gave him five because one was for Goliath and the rest was for his brothers. I really believe that. And the Bible said he walked out on the battlefield uh, and he took that little stone and that sling uh, and I can see him now uh, I can see him making round one, round two and round three for God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Ghost and he let her loose uh, and that stone went to flying I really believe this, the Bible said when that stone hit him the head of Goliath he did not fall back now if you study the laws of, of, of physics and you know anything about science you understand that something in motion uh, continues in motion and that stone's going this way and scientifically we know that Goliath should have fell backward anybody ever been punched or hit with something coming this way and you have the opposite reaction no we go with physics takes you back but not this day Goliath falls forward why I believe God was up there taking that big ugly giant's head and it was aiming everywhere that little rock would go and when it got about that close God slung his head into that rock drove that thing about four foot through his brain and he faced on the dirt and uh, sure enough David stood up crowned uh, a champion over Goliath the Bible said uh, that that's when them boys got out of the trenches that's about right ain't it uh, when, the, when Goliath went down they got up started shouting for war uh, the Philistines took off down the road uh, and David took the very armor uh, the very sword the very weapon of Goliath and cut his head off packed it down uh, under his arm like a ten point bug uh, and the women began to cry and sing and uh, blush when he walked by saying Saul has slain his thousands but David his ten thousands I mean this is who we're talking about we're talking about shortly thereafter Saul gets jealous and time after time after time the Bible said that David would be in there playing the heart and the evil spirit that had been troubling Saul sent from God would have to flee and the Bible said that when David would be playing that heart that Saul literally would take his spear and try to kill him, take his sword. I mean, time after time after time, at the very one, the best friend.
friend, uh, Jonathan's daddy, was so tore up and jealous and envious of David. He tried to kill him time after time. But David's a man after God's own heart. What does David do? Does he conspire against Saul? No. Does he go downtown and talk about him? No. As a matter of fact, the Bible said he has more than one opportunity to kill Saul. But what's he do? He shows him grace. He shows him mercy. He bows before a man that just tried to kill him and said, I ain't touching God's man. I ain't going to touch the anointed king of Israel. You have me if that's what you want, but I ain't doing it. I mean, a good, godly man, a man after God's own heart. Well, we know the story that Saul and his sons, uh, his sons are killed in battle and Saul falls upon his own sword. Guess what? Uh, they come and say, all right, David, it's time. Uh, the Lord's anointed you. It's time. And so uh, David's anointed as king of Israel. The kingdom's divided. There's still men that are men of Saul and there's men now that are men of David. And so what does David do? He has to settle the whole thing up and get everybody on the same page and he does. And they go to battle after battle. What's David do? In chapter number 10 we've read. Uh, and then verse number 18 of chapter 10 the Bible said the Syrians fled before Israel and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shabbat and the captain of their hosts who died there. I mean David's killed hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, the enemies of God and everything he touches prospered. He's taken things from their camp they were using uh, for their good and turned it into the glory of God. David has took the Ark of the Covenant uh, that's traveled in tents all over the world. Uh, David's took the Ark of the Covenant he's built a temple. And so the Ark, the presence of God could have its own dwelling place. You name it and it's on David's resume. But all of a sudden all those things are soon forgotten because of this moment. Does everybody understand that? You go study David's life and tell me if I'm, if I'm lying. I can't find one negative thing about him. In 1 Samuel 16, until we reach 2 Samuel chapter 11. And he had a bad moment. Now, can I say these moments don't just slip up on us? Y'all remember what I've been preaching on, don't you? How this moment has started. How, how this moment happened in David's life. Well, first of all, we said this. I want to say that uh, this moment, it is again no coincidence and the magnitude of this moment takes effect in David's life first of all because it started out with a moment of exhaustion. A moment of exhaustion. In verse number 1, uh, the Bible said it came to pass after the years expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon besides Rabbah but David tarried still. I believe David's tired. I, I believe he's just killed. I don't know how how many thousands of men in chapter 10 let alone all the chapters before that and I really believe brother Sean that the king is just tired uh, can I say this morning that's the very moment if you're not careful that the devil uh, sees a crack he sees an opening you're vulnerable when you become tired that's when you become weak can I get a witness uh, ain't, no, ain't nothing no worse than when I'm wore out to have to try to do something physically uh, or spiritually I mean it's hard to preach uh, if I've not got 
got a good night's rest and I'm not resting and I'm tired. It's hard to get up here in my physical body. My flesh is hard to preach. I got plenty of sleep last night. Thank the Lord for that. But there's a lot of times I come in and I'm weary. I'm tired and it makes it hard. It makes it difficult. May I say in this spiritual life, in the Christian life, some of you are wore down. You're tired as you can be. You've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. You're sick of praying. You've waited and waited and waited and waited and you're sick of waiting. You have worked and worked and worked and worked and you've yet to see any rewards for your labor and you're tired. And if you're not careful, you'll let a moment of exhaustion keep you out of the battle. But here's what I want you to realize. No matter if David was tired or not, it was time for kings to go forth to battle. And the reason there's a Bathsheba moment in his life is because he failed to be faithful to the battle even though he's exhausted and he went on and fought and did what he's supposed to do. I really believe God would have took care of him. He has time and time and time again. Some of you feel like I can't fight another battle. I can't go on. I'm too weak. I'm too tired. But let me ask you something. Has God not brought you through every other time? I need somebody to help me. Has God not brought you through every other time? But the old song says, tell me a time that he's not been faithful. Tell me a time that his mercies weren't new. Tell me a moment in your life where God wasn't faithful. I'm telling you, you won't find one. We can't let a moment of exhaustion take us to a moment where we skip out on the battle. David would have never sinned with Bathsheba had he not been tired and stayed out of the battle. But then secondly, we looked at this. We've made a service out of each of these points, so I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to mention them. Not only do we see this moment started off with a moment of exhaustion, but then secondly, we see this moment starts with a moment of exemption. In verse number one, David looks around and he says, not only am I exhausted, but I've got, I've got some pretty good men. Oh, Joab, buddy, he's tough as a pine knot. Joab, if, any, if anybody can go fight in my stead, Joab can. Matter of fact, I ain't just going to send Joab. He's got, a good, he's got a good group of men under him. His servants and men. I mean, dear God, we've been winning. We've been fighting a lot of battles and kicking a lot of tail. I, I believe I'll just send Israel to go with my stead. Hello? He's exempted himself and he's looked around. Same thing a lot of church members do. They look around and they say, well, I, I mean, I, we know Brother Josh going to be there. He's going to be faithful, Miss Amy. We know Dick will be there and them preachers, they'll be there and there'll be a handful that they just never miss. They'll be there. I mean, I, is it really important that we show up in battle? Is it really important that we get fed for the battle on Monday? I mean, I'm looking around. There's some, other, there's some people I, I believe will probably take, a, take the heat and take the battle. And I, I don't really feel like fighting this week, but I know they will. That's, a, that's exactly what David's done. He's looked down at his personnel if you will and he's seen Joab and his men and he's seen all Israel and despite it being his battle to fight he's exempted himself and sent someone else in his stead now here's what I've preached on that to exempt yourself from the battle is very very selfish he has now put Joab in a position to have to make calls that were not Joab's to make he has now put the, all of Israel in jeopardy because when they look for a direction, they look for cl- clarity, they look for what do we do next, they, 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 they really don't have the confidence in Joab that they do David because David's their king. Yeah. Is everybody understanding me? Yeah. 
I'm here to tell you this morning, you may feel like you're a nothing and a nobody and you're insignificant and it really makes no difference if you're there or if you're not or if you're fighting or if you're not or if you're faithful or if you're not. But I'm here to tell you, it sure enough does matter because there's people looking to you whether you realize it or not. And if ain't nobody watching you but your own children, my friend, that's enough to fight the battle. I don't want to lose my babies. I hope that God, everybody here listens to me. I hope that God, everybody here is faithful to this church. I hope everybody here is affected by my ministry. I really do. But if none of you are and my children see that there's some things we're fighting for and my children get saved and my children marry in the will of God and my children live their lives to please God and my family knows to follow God and the whole world goes to hell I'm a success. But if I win the whole world and I lose my family I'm a great failure because I am the one they are watching you see me on Sunday and Wednesday but they get to see me Monday through Saturday and it's my job to fight the battle and win this war you say preacher it's bigger than me it sure is but if God be for us who can be against us do not exempt yourself from the battle because the battle is yours to fight Ain't that how we get those sometimes? That ain't my battle. Yes, it is. Every morning you wake up, it's, it's time to go to war. Every day. It's a battle every day. David ends up in this moment because of a moment of exemption. He's took the day off. And I'd imagine nobody probably argued with him. Hundreds of thousands of people have been slain at the hand of David. Joab probably even thinks, well, he's due one. But you don't understand something. This was the time for kings to go to battle. Can I say when it's your time to go to battle and you don't, the devil will make sure that there's a Bathsheba waiting on you. Y'all with me? I, 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 I ain't talking physical sin like this. I'm talking about a Bathsheba moment, a sinful moment, something to get you down and out. Something to pull you away from what you're, who you're supposed to be, and pull you out fellowship with God. And if you're not, if you're not battling, there will be a Bathsheba somewhere in that moment. Can I say this this morning? There is no exemption in the Christian life. We cannot look at this thing through the eyes and the efforts of those around us. I say this morning, exemption is very selfish. Very selfish. When you exempt yourself based upon previous accomplishments. Well, I'm always faithful. It'd be all right. You know what you've done? You've put everybody else at risk. You've hurt the body. Come on, somebody. Listen. We don't have to be shouting to be preaching the truth. We are a body. We've got three of you that believe that. We are a body. You say, why well, ain't important? And I use this, I use this illustration, I guess it was Wednesday. If I was to look at everything about me, this body, try to find something of insignificance, I said, that pinky nail right there probably don't play a big part. Insignificant, not needed, don't matter if it's there. I said, well, if that's the way you view it, won't you take a hammer and knock that thing off and tell me how important it is? Come on, somebody. All of a sudden, that itch in the back of your head that you can just comfortably scratch, you can't do that no more. 
your whole hand start. I mean, it looks instantly. If you were to look, say, well, I mean, it probably you live without it, sure, but it's going to affect the body. Not everybody gets to be a hand or an eye or an ear or a mouth in the body. But still, whatever you are, it's important. It's, it's significant. Don't exempt yourself. We looked at Paul and Timothy, and I'm not going to get into all that, but how Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy 6, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I have, Paul speaking, I have fought a good fight, finished my course kept the faith. He led by example and how people are watching you and iron sharpeneth iron. And so we preached all that. But then thirdly today, I want us to look at this. This moment not only started off uh, as a moment of exhaustion and a moment of exemption, but then we find this moment starts off with a moment of, of exploring or exploration. Look in verse number 2. The Bible said, and it came to pass in an evening. That's just one evening. Just a moment. That David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Does everybody see this moment of exploring? At this very moment, you need to write this down. If you exempt yourself in moments of exhaustion, you will then create moments of exploration. If you exempt yourself in moments of exhaustion, you will create moments of exploring or exploration. Can I say this morning that David, uh, because he's not at battle, begins to meddle. Is anybody listening? Uh, how many of y'all know when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for God, you'll start exploring things and roaming around in places you have no business. Uh, may I say it could be physically. Uh, physically, you could go and explore a place or most time it's technology anymore. Uh, begin to explore and look and search and talk and uh, all these things. And if you're not willing to fight in the battle and you're exhausted and you exempt yourself, it won't be long you'll be out exploring in this world. David just begins to roam around on him. Well, I believe him will walk up and look off the roof. Where's he supposed to be? Yeah. He's not supposed to be on the balcony. He's supposed to be in battle. Can I say there's good people that have no that they had no intentions on being out of church the last ten years? But they just got tired. And they said, well, I'm not that important. And they exempted themselves. And then once they were exhausted and they wrote their own pass of being exempt, then they started to explore. And the next thing you know, they, they just fell out completely. Right. That's how this works. May I say, I dare say 99.9% of the time when a child of God begins to wander around, wander about exploring things he or she has no business exploring, it's a direct result of allowing exhaustion to lead them to a place of exemption. And exemption is what opens the door to exploration where you begin to explore. Can I say that had David been where he was supposed to be, had David been doing what he's supposed to have been doing, this moment of curiosity and this moment of carnality, would have never occurred but how can I say that David the Bible didn't say that David just looked at her but notice verse number 2 the Bible said that he walked upon the roof of the king's house from the roof he saw a woman and the woman was very beautiful to look upon in other words he didn't just look at her he looked upon her in other words he looked and then kept looking can I get a witness it did not stop at first glance and by the way it never does David 
his exploration, he ran across a woman that's another man's wife who just so happened to be beautiful and butt stonks naked. Are you with me? I mean, that's the way this thing happens. Uh, uh, the devil will make sure that when Bathsheba occurs in your moment, that it's just as pretty as a picture and everything you could ever want. Right, right. Town happens. Can I say that he's painted this picture in more ways than just with a beautiful woman? There's people that are addicted to things this morning they never thought they'd be addicted to because he presented it to them as a Bathsheba. You know, alcoholics don't wake up and just say, man, I think I'm going to stay drunk my whole life and die of cirrhosis of the liver. It's painted to be a beautiful thing. It's painted out to be enjoyable. It's painted, it's painted at the, the scene. I mean, how many of y'all have ever seen beer commercial on TV while old drunk laid over a toilet puking? Anybody ever seen that? What's the setting? It's, it's a beach somewhere. And all the girls are in bikinis. And they all, ain't none of them got a hair out of place. Everything's perfect. All the boys are muscled up. They don't show the beer bellies. Are you with me? Hey, man. They don't, they don't show any accidents around. I mean, everybody's just sipping on a beer. And beach balls is uh, flying overhead. And good music's playing. The sun's shining. And the wind's blowing. I mean, everything's just perfect in order. Everybody's got a good tan and a good tone. Everything, everything's good. And that's what entices people. Because they say, man, that's, that must be a good time. But what they don't see is drinking two or three or four or five beers, watching the game, getting on in your truck to head home, and T-boning the police officer. Come on, somebody. And spend the rest of your life in prison for the murder of a police officer when all he's doing is watching Kentucky Tennessee game drinking a few beers. Is everybody with me? And some of you've got stories, personal stories. We know of things and people that it's affected. I'm telling you, this is how this works. But it all started with a moment. Just a moment in the life of David. You think David woke up this day and said, I believe I'm going to be an adulterer and a murderer and a liar and a cheater and a deceiver. I think that's what I want to do today. Why did he become all those things? A moment. One moment. A moment. He did not go forth to battle. And therefore, because he was exhausted and he exempted himself, now he starts to explore in places he would have never been had he been in battle. Brother Josh, why are you all the time preaching about being faithful to church? Why are you all the time harping on walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? Why are you always preaching against sin and self-satisfaction? I'm trying my very best to keep you from having a moment where you go somewhere you shouldn't and look at something you shouldn't, try something you shouldn't because the things uh, uh, that you will find uh, out there in the world exploring will grab you up and hold you hostage uh, and God forbid some of you I'll stand over a casket if you don't get things right and get in the battle and tell a story of a prodigal son that never would come home I'm telling you this morning I'm telling you the truth these very moments will destroy you if you'll let them you've got to evaluate your moments I know what a moment can cause I told you last week, I look every day at things in my life. You know why they, why I deal with things today? It's not because it's my, been my life. It's not my whole life's history. I had a moment. I'm still paying for things this morning because of moments in my life. And I say exploring is the byproduct of the other two points, exhaustion and exemption. 
When you put yourself in a situation to explore, you always end up making bad decisions. Yeah. Are you listening? Yes. How many of you remember a moment in your life that started the downhill path to whatever it is that you're still dealing with today? Some of your minds are corrupt this morning because of a moment. Y'all have thoughts you wish to God you didn't have, but you know where they started? Come on, somebody. I've knelt in these altars to pray before and things pop up. I say, oh my God, where'd that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Moments. I didn't live my life this certain way, but there's moments of my life and boom! There they come. Some of, your, some of your marriages this morning have been compromised because of moments. Hello? You, amen. You didn't live a life of adultery, but you had a moment. Is everybody all right? You, you didn't live a life of fornication, but you had a moment. It's compromised your home. Your ministry, some of your ministries are cold and compromised and carnal and corrupt because of a moment. Is everybody okay? Yes, you know, there's men this morning probably probably doing right things for God. But there's a whole, whole slew of people that will never submit to their ministries. You want to know why? They had a moment. If I name, there's a preacher on my name, on my heart. If I named him, everybody, everybody knows him. You've heard of him, at least. Still preaching today, still pastoring. It looks to be a very effective church. But when his name comes up, you know what everybody remembers? A moment. Or moments. He's got a, his ministry is a whole lot bigger than those moments. But what does everybody remember? His moments. Can I say, they're not going to talk about your life when you're, when you're put in a graveyard. They're going to remember your moments. That's what they're going to bring up, your moments. Good or bad. You, you have family and friends gathered around somebody's passed away. You just go through and remember their life. Or do you remember moments? You tell the crazy stories. Is that right? When you when you bury somebody, you, you bury say you bury your mother, you, you tell the, the 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 stories that's just man. No, anybody wouldn't believe those those moments. That's what you're remembered by. Can I say this morning, exploring in a place, <coughs> excuse me, some of your ministries and your minds corrupt, uh, can, can, can be a product of exploring in a place you're not supposed to be. But I want you to notice this David is also exploring from a perspective. That he should not have. David is exploring from a place he should not be. But David is exploring from a perspective that he should not have. This woman's naked. And I've heard preachers preach in so many different ways. They all, uh, Most of them blame David for looking. But here's my question, men. Which one of you wouldn't? Yeah. Come on. If he's a butt naked woman. Out off your porch, who ain't looking? Right. I'm glad we're being honest. I ain't, I ain't harping to him for looking. She's naked, but he shouldn't be there. Right. Is everybody with me? Yeah. I know some people don't like that. Some people's too churchy to be real, but let's be real. Yeah. Come on, somebody. And he didn't just look once, and neither would you. 
Come on, don't make me. I'll settle down right here. Your old nasty stink of rock flesh same as mine. He had one the second time just to make sure she's naked. He said she's naked the first time. I don't know if she really was. Let me look again. Yep, she sure does make it. Amen. He's got the wrong perspective because he's in the wrong place. He'd have never seen naked Bathsheba if he'd have been fighting the battle. Can I say that the devil will put things out, he'll dangle things out there for you to see to captivate your attention, but if you're doing what you're supposed to be and you're in the place you're supposed to be, you'll never see some of those things. You with me? David is exploring from a place he's not supposed to be. He's exploring with a perspective he's not supposed to have. And he's exploring with people he's not supposed to be around. Bathsheba was not his. But what does he do? Look in verse number 3. In verse 2, he sees her. And she's very, the Bible said she's very beautiful. You know what that means? She's very beautiful. Yeah. Wasn't just an opinion of David. God said she's very beautiful. Verse 3. What happens? David sent and inquired after the woman. He said, hey boys, I want to ask you something. That real pretty woman down there. I said, oh, that's Bathsheba, daughter Elam. That's uh, Uriah Hittite's wife. And David sent messengers and took her. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this exploration, this exploring from a place He's not supposed to be with a perspective he's not supposed to have. Now he's exploring with people that he is not supposed to be around. Can I say all these things will lead you to reaping consequences of great magnitude just from a single moment. I want you to think about this. Write this down if you're writing. Think about that and ponder on this for about two or three days. This moment in David's life changed his life. That'll hit some of y'all about 4 o'clock in the morning. This moment in David's life changed his life. Does everybody see the magnitude of the moment? All the way up to this point, Brother Chris, success. David's the golden boy. He's the king. He's the giant killer. He's the shepherd boy. He's the bear slayer. I mean, you name it, he's done it and been good at it. But now, this moment in David's life has changed David's life. My friend, there is great magnitude in a moment. You know what follows David's moment of exploration or exploring? Can I say then we find the moment of inquiration or inquiring? To inquire, the Bible, or the definition of Webster's means this. It's when a place or a person is sought for or sought after. It is to make examination. It is to seek for particular use. It's to ask about or seek by asking. Can I say it is here that David's curiosity is now met by action. Is everybody with me? Don't go bet on me. This stuff's going to help you through the new year. When your moments... When your moments of opportunity occur. David's curiosity is met by action. He liked what he's seen. And then he wanted to seek after. He wanted to get his hands on it. Ain't that how it works? How many of y'all go back to a moment where you looked for quite a while before you touched? You looked before you tasted. You looked before you tried. 
You know what happens when you're in the wrong place? And you, you have the wrong perspective and you, you are explored with the wrong people? Curiosity kills the cats, what they say. Y'all with me, ain't you? Then it ain't too much longer that looking is no longer sufficient. But now David is longing for, he has inquired after this thing that has been set before him, that he has explored. He has now inquired about these things. Incoration. You know what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16? For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. David, up to this point, has lived a very honorable life. A life that anybody would desire to replicate. But all of his accomplishments, in the eyes of most men, the minds of most men, have just vanished. Why? Because of this moment. And I've said this time and time again, but if I were to ask anybody in any church, write down five things about David that you know. They probably write down he's a psalmist. They probably write down he's a man after God's own heart because that's the things we've always heard. They probably write down he killed Goliath. And then they'd probably be scratching their head thinking, what else did he do? And then they say, oh yeah, and he, uh, you know, slept with Bathsheba, got her prayed and killed her husband. It's in there, I promise you. Everybody remembers David by this moment. May I say exhaustion, exemption, and exploration has now landed David inquiring of another man's wife. Here's my question. I wonder how many of us sitting here this morning have already said in your heart, not me. I would never do what David's done. Can I remind you that David was the hand-picked anointed king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, when Jesus returns for his thousand year millennial reign, you know who's throne he's sitting on? Can I say there's not a man, woman, boy, or girl sitting here today that even comes close to measuring up to David. His life lived for God. And all it took was for David, uh, for David to fall. All it took was a moment. And you better hear me this morning. That's all it's going to take for you and for me. Sin and the flesh are never satisfied. They're like a, your sin and flesh is like a hungry pack of wolves always wanting more. The more you feed it, the more it wants fed. Did y'all get that? I'm about done. The more you feed your flesh, the more it wants fed. You know what David was doing on that housetop looking at him? He was feeding that flesh. And your flesh don't never get full. You with me? It's never satisfied. It just wants more and more. And then eventually got to where looking wasn't enough. Then he sent back to her. Again, who are we talking about? Brother Chris, go ahead and come. Who are we talking about this morning? We're talking about the king of Israel. God's chosen people. Y'all listen? We're talking about the giant killer, the shepherd boy. Talking about the good psalmist. You know, Jesse's little ruddy runt. But God had his hand on him. I wonder how many of you this evening will not be where you're sitting right now in six months from now because of a moment. I'm trying to preach to you. I'm trying to warn you right now that if you're if you get too tired. You let a moment of exhaustion lead you to a moment of exemption. 
Then the next thing you know, you're going to be exploring. And then once you start exploring, that won't be enough. You'll be inquiring. And before long, you're somewhere way out yonder in left field with sin hanging all over you. And your life's going down the tubes. And you're thinking, I can never get back to where I was. How'd I get here, preacher? Started with a moment. It starts with a moment. I've never been one. You can always trace it back. I've never been one to believe that everything was right in order and then all of a sudden fell in sin. I don't like that term. If I read my Bible right, it says that we choose to sin. And if you're saved, the Bible lets us know that we have victory over sin. We're no, we're no longer servants of sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin. You know what that means? You have a choice. And you'll make the wrong choice every time if you do these things in this moment. Let exhaustion get you out of the fire. How many of y'all here this morning you're on the brink of quitting? Just be honest. You're this close to just throwing your hands up saying, I can't do it no more. I fall and fall and fall. I'm about, I'm so exhausted, I'm about to exempt myself and let y'all have it. I hate to admit it to you, but I've been there several times. I'm about to quit. I can't take it no more. I'm tired. You know what happened to me if I quit in the battle? Bathsheba. You know what follows in the next chapter? That son that David and Bathsheba have, they put him in a graveyard. Some of you are going to endure sorrows you'd never, you would have never had to endure if you would just evaluate your moments. I wonder how many of us this morning would be honest and say, there's some moments right now I need to get some things squared away with God. I need to, I need to make things right with the Lord. Let's all stand. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Pray, God, that you'll take this message again. Lord, sink it in our hearts. Do what only you can. Lord, all I can do is tell them, preach. That's all I can do. Lord, you're the only one that can speak to their hearts. So, Lord, I pray this morning, God, for that one here that needs to do business with you, I pray that you'd speak their hearts. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.